Welcome to episode 39 of the Camerosity Podcast, the world's number one open source film photography podcast. My name is Mike Ekman, and this is our 23rd and final episode of 2022. What a fast year this has been. We've had some awesome guests and callers this year, and I can't wait to see what 2023 brings us. Before we get to that, though, it's time for introductions. From Sydney, Australia, where Skippy Peanut Butter is an imported delicacy, is Mr. Theo Panagopoulos. If not peanut butter, what do you guys put on toast down there? Well, we use peanut butter, but we just don't have Skippy Peanut Butter, which is quite um, quite a funny thing to happen. But yes, I was very surprised to see that in the store the other day as an imported product from the US. We're only sending you our best. Absolutely. Next, from Yellow Springs, Ohio, a man who will never eat Jif peanut butter is Mr. Paul Rival. What is your favorite kind of peanut butter, Paul? I'm a Skippy man. Always have been. Though I did, I did dally with Peter Pan once, but... Uh, we agreed we would never speak of that again. And finally, from Gainesville, Florida, a man who has been waiting 39 episodes for us to finally do some trivia is Mr. Anthony Rue. How excited are you for the first ever Camerosity Trivia Challenge? It is just like, you know, a night at the pub with all your friends answering stupid questions and getting drunk. You know, and speaking of which, this is the one episode where we need Miles Liveback to be here, and he's not here. I know. <laughs> All right, before we get started, um, I just wanted to comment on another podcast. Uh, we were put to the challenge by Mike Gutterman and the guys in the Negative Positives podcast. They just recorded episode 399. Uh, and near the end, they are challenging us as the nerdiest film photography podcast, a title I thought we had already won handily. Uh, but they're trying to suggest that maybe the biggest competitor to the nerdy title is Classic Camera Revival Podcast. That's Alex Luke's uh, show and uh, Bill Smith. Uh, so apparently they're taking suggestions or emails on who they think is nerdiest. And I got to say, I think it's us. No disrespect to Alex and the boys because they have a great show too. But uh, but nobody has the knowledge of uh, King Regulas and extras and and all the nonsense that Miranda's. we have. So, Miranda's, yeah. So for anybody listening, uh, I don't know when this episode will actually air or when they'll stop uh, accepting nominations, but uh, we definitely want to get that title of the nerdiest film photography podcast. So uh, what other podcast will do an hour of ex of just spontaneous discussion about 127 film. That's right. Especially when we're supposed to be talking about Pentax. <laughs> <laughs> we're not suggesting we that you spam them, but yeah, spam them with the suggestions of <laughs> the nerdiest. Yeah, why not? Go for it. Let 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 our voices be heard. Real quick though, speaking of Pentax, in the previous podcast, a question that came up was whether or not Azahi had ever made a rangefinder. And though they never have, a reader of my site pointed out that there is actually a like a thread mount Pentax lens that was made for a short period of time. It's one of the, the shorter focal lengths. I believe it was a 40 millimeter branded Pentax. So I, I don't know the, the date of it. I've never actually seen one before, but apparently it's super rare. Um, it's I think it's got the SMC coating, but uh, if anybody here listening has ever seen or used one of the Pentax rangefinder lenses, I guess that would be the closest they've ever come to making a rangefinder. Yeah, it was in the it was in the 2000s. You're aware of it then? Oh yeah, our friend Von Cabbage has one. Okay, all right. Yeah, they they didn't make a lot of them. I think there were, I can't remember the exact number, but it was somewhere around two or three hundred. Okay, all right. So yeah, new. super rare. Yeah. They're uh, not not cheap. The the one or two that I saw for sale. But um, uh, if anybody is uh looking for the closest thing to a Pentax rangefinder, perhaps the Pentax like a thread mount lens on something a Canon. <laughs> 
maybe that's the closest you'll ever come to it. So we had uh, another, I made a post on my website, a couple other bloggers, Theo, you participated in this too. We all kind of wanted to get together and come up with a, a short list of like the three cameras that uh, stood out to us in, in 2022. Um, for people who run blogs such as myself, it could be a camera we reviewed or a camera we're planning on reviewing. So uh, different sites, um, Ali did it, um, Eric, Jason, Stephen Dowling, I think it's going to still put one out, but there are a few people that, that took part in it. But I thought, you know, we maybe, what do you guys like have a, a favorite three or three cameras that stood out to you? Sure. In, in in this year well for my three uh the first was a camera that you know i never really thought that i'd like because when the olympus xa first came out uh i burned through several of them brand new and they all failed on me at various times and so from a reliability standpoint i just kind of had given up on them but hearing uh jeff greenstein from i dream of cameras talking about his xa4 earlier in the year i came across one that was not outrageously expensive and i'll be damned if that isn't the little carry camera that i took with me on two different vacations and it's just as the pocket camera that that i just love to just you know load up and forget about and shoot um i've probably put more film through that xa4 than any other camera this year and then the two others that that surprised me real quick refresh refresh everybody's memories like what's special about the xa4 so, so the xa4 is the one that came with the wide angle lens so i don't remember the exact it's is it a, like a 32 it's like it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty wide lens 28 i believe 28 yeah that sounds right so it's got like a a, a very wide hyperfocal focusing range and so you can kind of just set it at like nine feet and everything's in focus and it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's super simple and it works and it's, it's been yeah. a lot of fun. Uh, awesome. Second camera would be one that um, I didn't go out looking for. It was actually a, a Topcon RE Super. I already had a, uh, a Bessler branded Super D uh, with the 1.8 lens. I actually bought this sort of as a rear lens cap on a, a 5814 that I'd been lusting after. You know, I actually like for some reason, I mean, they're, they're ostensibly the same camera, but that re super is just like silk i mean that camera is such a pleasure to shoot and that lens is probably my favorite slr lens that i have so that camera that's just the one that i always keep loaded you know it's the camera that you know i'll blow through a lot of film and a lot of different cameras and then like cycle through various cameras but the re super has been the one camera that when i want an slr that's the one that i'm reaching for and then the the last camera is one that I came across fairly recently. It's a camera that I'd lusted after for years, and that's the uh, 1939 Bessa rangefinder, uh, which is you know, and it, I'm lucky enough that for that one I actually have the 645 insert. Was that a Bernard camera? It is a Bernard camera, oh, and it's awesome. like brand new. So uh, the, the camera itself is like brand new. It's just the the you know, it's got the Scopar lens, which is fine it's six by nine it just looks stunning plus you have the added advantage of being able to drop the uh, the mask in and shoot it at six four five with a very accurate rangefinder with a fairly wide baseline uh spacing and it's super light you know for a camera of that size i mean i've been shooting the heck out of my super icontas but uh that best rangefinder is just easier to carry and faster uh, than the the super Conta. it's just really intuitive for me to use for a big six by nine camera it's just it's been a real joy awesome mark what uh do you have a, th a three from this year i know this has been kind of a weird year for you but there has to be at least three that you've enjoyed 
Yeah, certainly. Uh, one of them is one that I reviewed late last year, but I just keep coming back to it because I love the design, which is the Corefield Paraflex. Uh, and nice. it's just such a neatly designed camera, but I'm still struggling to get the composition correct using using that minuscule viewfinder through the periscope. Uh, for something that just surprised me as far as the imagery would be the Fujika Compact Deluxe. Uh, I found that to be a really nice camera to use. I mean, it, 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 it's not the best feeling in the hand, but the results are just, I think, very, I, I love really contrasty images, and I feel like the lens on that one, I think it's like a it's 1.8, I believe, 45 millimeter. Uh, the, the images look spectacular on that. And just from something that I hadn't ever tried before i got one of the it was just a nikon f2 and started playing with that and and i can sort of see the appeal of the behemoth of a camera that it is right david ortega's here how about you uh tell us anything that you've picked up this year played with it that's stuck with you i actually have it right here i think theo might like it it's a little canon sd20 said it did you can yes that's nice <laughs> i didn't mean to start off with the digicam but i mean that i picked up this year <laughs> that I'm actually using. Um, it's this one. Everybody drink. <laughs> it's 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 tiny. That's why I like it. And it's funny enough, it still had the SD card in it. And um I think it was Jason Lee, the the actor, the um actor slash photographer, uh from My Name is Earl. Like there's pictures of him like that was taken with this camera from like the SD card, which is kind of crazy. Oh wow. Wow. Yeah. And then the other thing I haven't really gotten to shoot because it doesn't work. The black Nikon SP I found as like a barn find. Oh, okay. Yeah. The really worn one. Yes. Yeah. It's it's heavily worn, but like the way I got this one was kind of crazy because like it was literally listed as like Nikon camera for parts on eBay. So I just kind of like took a took a risk on it. But um right now I'm like in the middle of trying to figure out where I want to send it to because JC because I posted it on Reddit and JCH actually messaged me and told me to send it to them, to his Nikon engineer. And then there was another um, company up in um, Oregon that they were recommending to send it over there because the issue that it has is the um, the the viewfinder. There's like a, the the center third of it you can't see through it because um, of mirror separation. I'm guessing or the desilvering or something. It's desilvering. There's a prism in there. Yeah, that's the biggest knock of that camera is that that's very common. I've spoken many times about the SP. I do love them. But um, of all the ones I've handled, I'd say three quarters of them either have a completely hazed over or inoperable primary viewfinder. Usually the secondary one is okay. Yeah. But if you can find an SP with a good viewfinder, the main rangefinder window that's not fully or partially blacked out, uh, they could be worth quite a bit. But sadly, the only way to fix that, at least unless you know how to re-glue prisms, which maybe there's somebody who knows how to do that. Um, usually you just swap from, from a parts camera, but usually the parts cameras are the barn finds like what you have. So, yeah. And the, the two, the, I mean, the, the one person in Oregon told me that they could attempt to redo the prism because they were like, some people don't want to do it just because it's a lot of work, but that they would take the risk. And then I might send it over to Japan and they'll tell me within like a couple of weeks of it's like, Hey, it's like, it's a repairable or it's not. And then from there, they'll take care of it. Because I do have a working SP, but I don't want to parts that one out just to get this one going. Yeah. So, yeah. My best advice to you is make the decision now how much you're willing to spend on that. Because to start sending it out and get it fixed, if you ever think you're going to flip it, it's going to be hard to 
reclaim some of that out of it. But I don't remember if you said what you have into it. But I mean, if it's something you want to use and you like the look of a well-worn black, which I mean, I do too. But uh, I I would make a a decision up front with what your maximum dollar is on it because it's going to escalate quickly. Yeah, I kind of figured that. Okay. So that's what I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about because I, I like I paid 500 for it through through eBay. So it's like, yeah, I think at this point you could probably get your money back out of it, maybe because I mean, blacks yeah. are desirable. They are rare. If it was in its exact condition, but it had a good viewfinder, that's I'd say easily a thousand bucks. But but I think anybody looking for an SP is well aware of the viewfinder problems that they could have because, you know, the shutter is not that hard to replace, you know, it's. No. They basically copied the Leica shutter. So within reason, most anybody who can service a Leica shutter should be able to do a Nikon shutter. So, Mm -hmm. but I mean, wish you good luck, man. That's a cool camera to have. I mean, even I don't have an SP and to have a black one is is really neat. So awesome. Aiden, welcome back to the show. Uh, I know you usually have some, what you do estate sales, uh, garage sales. You have anything you found recently or anything that's stuck out to you since Mm. you got off the island? (laughs) <laughs> Let's see. I got four of these Graflex XLs. Did you oh. say four of them? Yeah, for uh, 120 bucks. So, and then just the cameras that I've been shooting is the XA and the M6. Nothing crazy. Okay, so XA Anthony had the X4, XA4. So a lot of Olympus love. Uh-huh. I have my within arm's reach. I have my XA2 right here. I generally prefer the two over the one. Mm-hmm. Um, while it's neat having the rangefinder, I just I'd rather do the zone focus on this one. I, I'm not trying to get bokeh shots out of it or anything, but these are really nice. I mean, I, I this is a camera that's hyped that I do see the appeal in. I mean, the, the way they just fit in your hand, the body is still mostly metal. I mean, there is some plastic on it, but like the back door is metal. You get one that's in nice shape. I mean, a lot of times these type of cameras, the clamshell ones, uh, I found that a lot, a lot of the cheaper versions they feel gritty, but most of the Olympuses that I have still seem to be pretty snappy opening and closing. And mm-hmm. I mean, they make they make great pictures, so there's no denying that. Have you ever taken the door off your XA? No, uh-uh. It's, it's real easy to get off. You just take a very thin screwdriver. Okay. It just pries right off. Well, there's a ball bearing in there. Okay. So you want to do it in a place where you can absolutely not lose that ball. Lose the ball. Okay, that's a good tip. Yeah, but if you do that, you can clean it. It really smooths it out if you get one. That oh, okay. That is gritty. Yeah. yeah, I've been pretty lucky. I have two X2s. I do have an XA here somewhere. And I did come across once an XA1, which is like the really scaled down cheap, cheap model. But that one didn't work at all. So I've had pretty good luck with these. And again, I do really like them. I just, I prefer the XA2. This is, for me, a less is more kind of camera i've I've got the xa3 in red because that's nice yeah red car red red, um cameras go faster and it actually does because it actually takes film up to 1600 um, that's cool i say 1600 so that's the difference but the main difference between it and the xa2 and i absolutely love this camera it is fantastic yeah they are nice um just works and just just seems to seems to get it right every single time just about yeah all right, we had a new new caller. Do you want to introduce yourself? Looks like we got someone in the car. Hi. Uh, yeah, it's my name, Atabak. I am from Iran. I live in California for a few years. Awesome. Well, welcome to the show. Have you listened uh, to other episodes? Yeah, I'm listening from the first episode. All right, another long hauler. Well, welcome to the show. I've never had a caller from Iran. 
Uh, I don't even know if we had anybody from California before. It seems for some reason we are not attracting people from the West Coast all that often. Yeah, um, no, uh, I, yeah, I don't remember anyone from here. But, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of the show and couldn't uh, get to the other episode. I tried, but uh, I'm driving back home. I just saw the notification that you are recording, so <laughs> jump in. All right. Oh, and, and just for a correction, we did have Vanya on from California. Oh, she's and from on. California? Okay. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. She's a diver. And there's David, yep. There's. Are you from California? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. I didn't even know. <laughs> All right. Sorry about so that. Is the California day. Yep, I, you yep. know, I never thought to ask. It just seems like everybody's either like East Coast or Johannesburg, South Africa or something. <laughs> All right. Uh, we did have um, we did have Andre on and Dominguez. he's supporting us as but yeah Dominguez but he's and he's supporting us as being the nerdiest podcast so we, we okay. have to mention him. He's competition, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, he's he's he he's, he believes we are the nerdiest. It's Mike Gunner. Okay. Uh, ah, okay. So Mike's the problem then. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, they're they're about to do their four hundredth episode, and I know their earlier episodes were pretty short, but I was I was thinking the the rate at which we're doing our shows here. Uh, I calculated it would take us 15 years for us to reach the 400th <laughs> Camerosity episode. So uh, uh, for any of us that are still going to be alive in 2037, if anybody goes back 400 episodes and hears this now, you have to let us know uh, that we made it because uh, I, I just don't think we're going to make it to 400 episodes. <laughs> All right. So we have myself. So we have eight people, Adabex in a car. So I don't know if I want to. Well, I want to hear about Paul's cameras. We're, 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 oh, we're that's right. Picks. Oh, you're right. I'm sorry. Well, I, I'm i a little, mine's, a, I've got weird choices because I I picked the cameras that I've enjoyed using the most this year was one rangefinder camera and two viewfinder cameras. The rangefinder was the Nikon S2. The uh, viewfinder cameras was the Fuji G617 and the Plabel 69W. Um, the S2, of course, you know what that is with the the G617 is the uh, uh, Fuji-made camera that makes a two and a quarter by 170 millimeter, a uh, little over six inches negative. So you get four shots to a roll of 120. And the uh, has a 105 millimeter lens, which is a wide field lens for that format. Uh, and the 69W uh, is a six by nine centimeter camera with a 47 millimeter lens on it. Uh, so you get eight shots on that one. That's also the pro shift. So it, it does, uh, you can shift the lens, which I haven't done yet because I, I really was hand holding it rather than using it on a tripod. But it, it's an incredibly sharp lens on the camera. So those are the three that I've enjoyed the most this year. Just go ahead and taunt us with that Plabell, a camera that most of us will never get a chance to hold, let alone use. Well, I had a guy earlier today try uh, ask me if I would trade him for a Fuji 693 and some cash. Ooh. And uh, I said, no, I'd, I really, I'm not really even sure I want to sell the Plabell. So yeah. I think you should hold on to it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I probably will. I Right now on the personal shelf, I've got a, a Hasselblad 501 and uh, the Plabell that I'm just actively not trying to sell. Which Plabell was that one that you have? Was it the chrome one or the black one? This is the 69. It, they were all black. It's it's a it's a new camera. It's not the old not the old Plabells. Oh, okay, those, David, if, you, if you've not huge. seen it, it looks like it looks like the modern you know the one that you've seen before, but it mm -hmm. has like 
film extensions that stick out on both sides, kind of like grips on both sides. And then as the camera, as the front of the, 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 as you extend the lens, it has a standard where it can both tilt and shift. But what's really cool is, is that as you tilt it and shift it, the external viewfinder is like on a platen that also tilts and shifts to match the view of, of what you're doing with the lens. Oh, that's crazy. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah I, I think I've seen the, because I know I've seen like a Bellows one. I'm not sure if that's the same one, but I saw like a video where like someone was holding it in their hand and it's it just looks so like, it's so big compared to like a small little camera. Well, I think that Paul's running out to pick it up right now. He was going to pick his up. We'll be posting photos of it onto the Camerosity Instagram page. I think, David, is this the one you were thinking about? Well, because I know that there's two of them. I know that there's that version and there's the more modern version. Yeah. There's, oh, that one's that a beast? different than what I thought. Yeah, yeah that's quite different. Is, uh, this it's, one, it's a... it has the, uh, the back looks like a Mamiya Universal or Super 23 rollback, but it isn't. Um, oh, in fact, maybe it is. It probably is a Mamiya rollback, but it doesn't come off and it doesn't have a dark slide, so it's permanently attached. But yeah, the uh, the the viewfinder on the top is parallax corrected, so as you shift it and uh, and move it, it'll move up and down and sideways to to correct for the uh, for the view. And as you shift, it automatically like adjusts itself as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It That's moves. pretty rad. Yeah, it, it is super cool. And there's a one one lever here on the front that you loosen that, and that lets you go side to side. And you can't probably see it, but the the viewfinder is moving when I do that. That is nice. That is very nice. Okay, um, I'll I'll throw in my my three. You you can do you can actually see them on Photo Thinking, but uh, I managed to fill out my basically my set full in Mamiya 7 this year. So with the extra lenses and, and pieces and so on. So that's something I've gotten quite excited uh, to be using this year uh, ongoing. And uh, I've started using uh, the Voigtland uh, Superb a little bit more as well. And uh, Anthony, I've got news for you. I believe the other one is almost ready um, either the last week of this year or it'll be the first week of, um, Jess was mentioning the first week of the new year will be ready to go. Oh, I am so excited. That's like something to look forward to for next year. Yes, that um, that is a lot of fun. My my one's quite dim, uh, but I don't mind that for the moment. I may swap out the screen at some point though, because I am actually enjoying it so much. This thing is so over-engineered. It's not funny though. It's 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 um, but it just works. It's just a pleasure to use. You know, I've got so many United frequent flyer miles because I use that for my corporate card and I haven't flown anywhere in three years because of the pandemic. Maybe I can just fly down to pick it up to be cheaper than shipping it from Australia. Yeah, we, can do, <laughs> we can do that. <laughs> and it is summer now. It is summer down here. Ah. So, so, which is quite contradicting considering I'm wearing a um, Christmas um, beanie at the moment. <laughs> I think by the end of the show, I might, I might be passing out from the heat, <laughs> but um, the, and my third pick uh, was the Nikon Coolpix 995. If anyone knows what they are, they are the the, the twisty cameras from 2001. Um, fantastic. You can do selfies with them. <laughs> Important. And it's a massive 3.34 megapixels. Yeah, if you think back in those days, it was important to have that 0.34 listed as well. But it, they are really great in terms of the lens quality. I'm, I'm really surprised, actually. 
especially when you start getting down the macro pictures. So um, we've had a couple of digicams sort of sneak in today. Everybody take a shot. <laughs> I was going to say that I have the uh, one of the Nikon Coolpix 950s, which is also sort of the twisty one. And I've really enjoyed using that. It's a surprisingly fun camera to use. It's That one's a 2.1 megapixel, I believe. It, it's, it's actually interesting that they went down that design route and it never really sort of continued on because I think the actual design has merit. It, it does it does actually work although it, it almost seems like it was more of like an afterthought they it would have been more useful as a video camera instead of a still camera in some regards that is now, true. Yeah. yeah but but in general they are fun to especially this, this, the macro is surprisingly good on it when they discontinued that camera there was a period of about three years that they were extremely popular on the used market because people found they could use them for astronomy they they hooked up to a telescope eyepiece very easily, so they were it was a niche market for them. But they were they were really popular for that, and then uh, also they were for some lab use. They were easy to hook in for the same reason. They were easy to hook attached to a microscope. I did not know that. That's oh, cool. Didn't know that about astronomy. I might actually look that up. Might have to give it a go. Same. Hey Theo, I was going to ask you um, more Digicam related. <laughs> I know with the Nikon and, and this one, it's like an SD card, flat, uh, compact flash. With the more older ones, like I know that there was like some that had like the flash, um, the um, the floppy disk, and then other ones had the smart media. Do you have something to read those, or like how do you how do you handle those? I do have a floppy disk one. I've got a uh, Mavica Sony uh, FD07, and I actually ordered a USB floppy disk drive from from online, so I can do that. Um, with with the other the special one, I think uh, Anthony's holding something up there, which is uh, the micro the micro drive. I think that you can still get readers. I'm not sure about that. Mark, have you come across those? Yeah, I've I've got a reader that does a lot of the ones like the real the super thin. Um, what are those the smart medias, smart media ones. It does. Mm -hmm. I've got you know the memory stick ones are fairly easy to find. I think I found one that had a couple different varieties. I've got probably like three readers because you can't I can't find one that has all of the obscure formats uh, built into it. But if you just do a search either on Amazon or on eBay for those, you should be able to find USB readers that will read most anything that you want to be able to pull in. Look for us. They call them a seven in one. So if you look for okay. a seven in one reader, that's going to cover everything up to uh, the CF Express. Yeah, it's like like these ones. The micro drive was, it was an IBM one gig micro drive for my uh, Nikon D100. Yeah, micro drives are the same size as a, a compact flash card. And, and at some some place, I actually have two or three different adapters for it. I just have to find them. Okay. Something, yeah. Not something I've used in 15 oh years. God. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm stuck with the modern computers. It's like the only thing I have is like a USB-C to like the, the, the oldest I can go to is uh, compact flash. So it's like I have this like huge, like bulbous, like Toshiba, like three point something megapixel one that my dad found. And I'm like trying to see if I can use the smart media card. And like even the LCD on the back is all like busted up. The the front lens cap is all messed up. If you if you look at um this this reader here, it's a bit hard to see. It's a QPIX, QPIX, uh, all in one kit. And it's it's an old USB 2 one, but it does have the smart media connection there. So if you look at like Mark said, the 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 17-1s and 18-1s and they're probably up to 30 in one these days. Um, but find those, you'll find that they do support some of the older uh, formats. 
Okay, I, I pulled it up. I stepped away, but were we talking about uh, old digi- digicams? Yeah. So did, did Paul? Did you did you tell him what you sent me? No. No. So I've... Paul, oh, this is cool. Loan me, loan me. <laughs> it's called the Nikon E2 NS. It was also co-branded Fujix. So by Fuji, it's like a half Fuji, half Nikon. It's a DSLR. Uh, I will have pictures of this, but if you guys look at how thick this thing is from front to back, uh, the lens is like tiny compared to this monstrous of a bottle or uh, body. I mean, you look at the top of that, the, the reason for this thing being so huge, there's multiple reasons, just an old digicam, but adding to that is it, it accepts any autofocus or manual focus, Nikkor lenses, F mount, but it doesn't have a full frame sensor yet. It, it will still capture. So if I have a 50 millimeter F1.8 autofocus lens on here, it'll, it'll capture in that correct focal length. And it's because it uses reducing lenses, like literally inside the body behind the shutter, but in front of the sensor are lenses that actually reduce the image down to whatever size sensor this thing has in it. So uh, it's like a lens inside the body. And that has the side effect of always stopping down everything to at least F6.7. So you're not going to get too much bokeh from this camera with the fast lens on it, but uh, it's a behemoth. It's super heavy. The one Paul had did have a battery, but the battery was dead, but thankfully he had an AC adapter. So I have an AC adapter plugged into this and I've been able to get some test shots for it. So uh, I'm pretty geeked out, even though it's a really basic DSLR, but I want to do a review of this someday. It's good to see the Digicam fever is spreading. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, so we had uh, we had Andrew Smith joined us uh, just a few minutes ago. Welcome back, Andrew. How you doing? I think we have enough people here now to get started on some trivia. How hard is this going to be? I create all the questions. I think they range from fairly easy to moderately difficult. I, I did not pick any really obscure uh, questions that I, that I don't think anybody's going to know the answer to. I, the only hints I can give you is that everything that is in here has been covered on this show at least one point in time. So Adabak said he recently has been going through all the episodes. So he may actually have a, a leg up because um, I'll be honest. I, once I'm done with an episode, I don't know to go back and listen to <laughs> the previous one. So, all right. So we're going to get started with our trivia. We have uh, some questions that I came up with. We're using a service called Mentimeter. We have eight players. I'm not participating since I'm the one who came up with the questions, but Paul, Theo, and Anthony absolutely do not know what the questions are. They they have no uh, unfair advantage. They have not received a preview. So um, our listeners who are Mark Faulkner, David Ortega, Adabak, Aiden Dean, and Andrew Smith are going to be challenging the three hosts of the show. Um, How this will work is... For the people who are participating live, you will be able to see the questions on your screen. When a question pops up, you will have four to five seconds to read the question. After that delay, you will get multiple choice answers. All you got to do is pick on. If you get the question right, the faster at which you click on it, the more points you get. So like, let's say you leave it on your screen for four to five seconds and then you get it right. You'll still get points. You just won't get as many points as if you clicked fastest. So accuracy and speed will help you. And then after each question, we'll see the leaderboard. For those of you listening at home, I will read the questions and try and prompt some answers. And then maybe if anybody has any questions or uh, it leads to a discussion afterwards, 
afterwards, uh, we'll talk about it. So enough talking from me. Let's get going with the first question here. In order to advance a roll of 35 millimeter film the correct distance to make a 24 by 36 exposure, the film must advance by this many perforations. The choices are six, seven, eight, or nine. All right. So four people correctly guessed eight. Let's see who they are. David Ortega, Anthony, Mark, and Adabax got it correctly. So David O was the first person to answer correctly. So he's in the league with 970 points. Does everybody understand how it works? But it's not in Australian English. I've got a disadvantage here. That's true. I, I did not use Australian English. So you're going to have to do Google <laughs> Translate first. All right, let's move on to the next question. There's 25 of these. Anytime anybody can catch up, the questions do get harder. All right, we're on question number two. Remember, there's a delay you get to read. This was Canon's original name when they first started making cameras. The options are Canon, Seiki Kogaku, Chayoto Kogaku, or Azahi Seiki. So the real debate would be, were they always Canon or do they have one of these other names? Time's up. Three people correctly got Seiki Kogaku. Four people chose Chayota Kogaku, which was Minolta. So uh, good guess on a name of an earlier Japanese company that later changed, but wrong one. So three people got it right. Let's see what the leaderboard is. Theo got that one right. David Ortega again and Adabax. All right. Theo's <laughs> on the board. So David O has gotten both right. So he's in the lead with 1,817 points. Let's go to number three. The Tessar formula was designed by this man. The options are Dr. Hans Harding, Paul Rudolph, Dr. Ludwig Bertel, or John Henry Dahlmeier. A hint is all four of those made a lens of some kind. The correct answer is Paul Rudolph. <gasps> Hans Harding uh, designed the Heliar. Uh, Ludwig Bertel, I think, did the Sonar. I can't remember which one he did. But John Henry Dahlmeier did the rapid rectilinear and the Dahlmeier lenses. So Paul Rudolph is the correct answer for the Tessar. He also did the sonar and I think one or two others. So that was a tough one. Let's see who got it right. Chef Boyardine. All right. Aiden on the board. 690 points. Question four. A Rockor, so we're talking Minolta, PG lens is made up of this many elements. Seven, six, five, or four. Minolta was similar to Olympus and uh, Nikkor lenses that indicate the lens elements in its title. The correct answer is seven. So Rukor PG, the G is the number of elements. G is the seventh letter of the alphabet. So therefore seven elements. Two people got that one right. And let's see who they are. Anthony and David Ortega again. So Anthony narrowly edged out David with uh, slightly more points, but David's still in the lead. Question five. Which of the following is not the name of a type of Leica copy? The questions are Reed, Cardin, Melcon, or Riken. I've reviewed at least two of these on my website. The correct answer is Riken. Riken was the name uh, before Rico. <laughs> In my article about Japanese um, Leica copies, I talk about the Melcon. The Melcon 1 looks like a typical screw mount Leica, but the Melcon 2 looks very similar to a Nikon rangefinder, but with a screw mount. Anthony's the only one who got it right. Still wasn't enough to catch up to David Ortega, but he is neck and neck by only 39 points difference. 
Question six. The Canon 50mm F095 Dream Lens was first released to be used on this Canon camera. The choices are the Canon VT Deluxe, the Canon P, Canon 7, or the Canon Flex. Which one of those four was that lens designed to be used on? The correct answer is the Canon 7. Does anybody want to uh, comment what's unique about the Canon 7 compared to the others? The lens mount? Had a different bayonet. Right. The, it has the normal like a thread mount, the M39 screw mount, but around it is a secondary bayonet, similar to the Nikon and Contaxes that have both uh, an internal and an external mount. So the Dream Lens was designed to, to wrap around that external bayonet. Uh, people have since modified them to be used on other cameras too. I believe there's even people who have used them on the SLRs, but it was originally released with the Canon 7. So for those of you who have a Canon 7, take a look at the lens mount. You'll actually see an external bayonet. It's for that one lens. They never made another lens to my knowledge that used it. So five people got that one right. Let's see who was fastest though. David, Anthony, and Andrew all guessed really quickly. David is still on the lead though. Man, Anthony's right on his tail though. Good thing he got in there. Andrew's on the board with 929 points. Good job, Andrew. Finally on the board, yeah. Hey, that's fine. Hey, got to catch up. I think Paul's walked off in disgust. <laughs> on the Camerosity podcast, this is the only host to appear in every single episode. Is it Anthony, Mike, Paul, or Theo? Who has been on every single episode, even the first two Cocaine and Waffles episodes? Could be Theo, but... It is Theo. Theo, didn't you get it right? How did you not keep yourself right? <laughs> I knew that, but I mistakenly pushed Mike. <laughs> yeah, I remember he had also a robot uh, episode that he was in himself. I was not. Yes, on I forgot about that one. 31. Yeah, I did not appear in that episode. <laughs> Only Theo though. and Robot Theo. Oh. <laughs> oh, you counted that as an episode? Well, it's got a number. <laughs> oh man <laughs> oh no well so i wasn't on that one anthony's missed what like two maybe three paul was not on until episode four i think is the first appearance of paul but he's been on everyone since then except 31 i can't um, believe i missed that, I lost that so, one. Got, so nobody got that one right <laughs> <laughs> to be fair that that episode People, a lot of people have commented that I might have been on drugs. So maybe that might be the case. <laughs> All right. So let's move on to the next question. Question eight. Fed rangefinders were built in this city. The options are Kiev, Kharkiv, Krasnogorsk, or Kaliningrad. Yes, I chose all Soviet cities beginning with a K. So it's Kiev. Kharkiv, Krasnogorsk, or Kaliningrad? The correct answer is Kharkiv. Three people chose Kiev. Kiev rangefinders were built in Kiev, but Fed rangefinders are made in Kharkiv. At the Felix E, I don't know how to pronounce the D, but like Dzerzhsky, he was the guy who founded the uh, Soviet secret police, which eventually became the KGB. We can assume that the working conditions in that factory probably weren't up to modern uh, OSHA standards. So I seem to have stumped people two questions in a row. Let's see if question nine, we can get somebody on the board. Number nine is, what major new feature was added with the release of the Minolta SRT 101 in 1966? 
The options are instant return mirror, CDS metering cell, through the lens metering, or shutter priority auto exposure. The T in the SRT stands for through the lens metering or TTL. The previous SR cameras did not have through the lens meter. One person got that one right, and it is Adabax. All right, 631. Is that enough to take over a spot? It looks like it is. He's bumped Theo down to fourth place. David Ooh. O and Anthony are still up there at the top. Question 10. This was the original name of the first Miranda SLR. The options are Mirax, Focabell, Orion, or Comet. Which one of those four was the original name for the Miranda SLR? And the whole company, for that matter. If Ira was here, he'd get this one. Yes, five people correctly guessed Orion. Uh-oh, wait a minute. Did it say nobody got it right? Yeah. Uh-oh. That's what I had. No, that was yeah, the right answer. Orion as well. Uh-oh. Okay. Uh, hmm. We got, a, we got a bug in the system. It didn't get that one right. It was definitely Orion, though. I don't know what to do about this, but I guess we'll just keep going. <laughs> I, I blame if, Robot Theo. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. All right. <laughs> sorry about that. Let's just keep going. I don't think one question is going to change too much, though. Oh, that, that was going to be the springboard. The name Pentax was first used by this company. Azahi Kogaku, Pentacon, Zeiss Icon, or Petri. Who originally used the name Pentax? If you listened to the last episode, you would know this. Let's see if it correctly gets one right. Sice, I what the hell? <laughs> Dude, the nice thing was for the last two questions, I listened to the podcast yesterday. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. 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 Hold on. That's not right. I think Paul's getting his revenge. He's going to stall us out until he can come roaring back to first place. No, I can't. I. <laughs> When I click an answer, nothing comes up. It did you put your name in again? Yeah, I did. But that's okay. While you guys are doing that, I just went and had an ice cream cone. <laughs> At about number 20, I'm going to go have a beer. All right. Um, mine, mine's just popped up telling me I've got a correct answer. And I mean, third All right, I fixed now. it. I fixed it. Okay. So the people who guessed Orion were David, Anthony, Theo, Andrew, and Chef Boyardine. All right, so I fixed it. I'm sorry, I must have done it wrong. The name Pentax was first used by this company. It is Zeiss Icon. Four people got that right. They were David Anthony, Adabax, and Mark. So let's see what happens here. Theo, you're Anthony. on that episode. Yes, I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Anthony uh, was able to dethrone David O, but only by 43 points. So uh, we got a new leader. <laughs> All right, Anthony's in first place. Question 12. Nippon Kugaku did not officially change their name to Nikon until this year. 1958, 1968, 1978, or 1988. So what year did they actually stop being Nippon Kugaku? The correct answer is 1988. They, they held on to that name for quite a while, whereas most of the other companies uh, switched quite earlier than that. Theo got it right. Vengeful. 932 points for Theo. Gets him solidly in third place. But David and Anthony are having a runaway here. All right. Next question. The U.S. distributor for Pentax SLRs in the 1960s was this company. Another question that you would know if you listened to the last episode. 
The choices are Honeywell, Bell & Howell, Allied Impacts Corporation, or Ehrenreich Photo. Hoping you all get this right. Honeywell. Bell & Howell did Canon. Allied Impacts did Miranda. And Ehrenreich did Nikon, uh, Ticino, a few others. I can't remember everything, but he did a lot of stuff. But Honeywell is correct. Who got it right the fastest? Well, I, I think didn't didn't Ehrenreich do robot? Probably yes. So Aiden actually was the fastest on that one, although there was a lot of close ones. But it wasn't enough to change a whole lot. Anthony's still in first place though, with six thousand two hundred forty-eight. Question fourteen. If Kodak still used the Camerosity dating code, a lens made in 2022 would have these two letters in front of the serial number, M-M-C-A-A-A-I-T or T-Y. So if there was a Camerosity lens made this year, what would its code be? AA is correct. Camerosity, for those of you who don't know, isn't just the name of the best, nerdiest open source film photography podcast. <laughs> it's also a code that Kodak used from roughly 1940 to about 53. Seems like the, the end of the Chevron is around the time when they stopped doing it. But uh, C is one, A is two, M is three, and so on. Y is zero. So nine to 2022 would be AA. Who are the three that got it right? David? Theo and Anthony. David was fastest, though. Is that enough to move him in front? Nope, not quite. 15. Paul has a rating system from one to eight, counting the number of dented corners for this camera. The options are Leica rangefinders, Minox subminis, the Pentax 6.7, or the Raleigh 35. Which of those four cameras does Paul have a rating system of one to eight, counting the dented corners? It is the Raleigh 35. We've covered that a number of times, I think. And notice there's no option for zero because I said that if you have a Rolly with no dented corners, all that means is that you're going to dent it. So who was fastest on that one? It was Chef Boyardine again with the quickest response. Or he's got the best ping of anybody's home internet. All right. Good job. 16 of 25. We've got 10 more to go. If you have a post-war Zeiss Icon Contacts, it was made in this city, Kiev, Stuttgart, Jena, or Dresden. So if it's a Zeiss Icon Contacts from after the war, what city was it made in? Is a tough one. Two people got it right. It's Jena. I didn't so after the Soviets propagated and basically moved the assembly line and took all the spare parts, uh, to Kiev to start making the rangefinders, um, they did not bring all of the workers. They basically left these guys in Dresden to just fend for themselves. They all got transferred to Jena, who is um, popular for making lenses. Jena didn't really make any cameras until the Veras, uh, but they got to work on piecing together what they knew of the contacts. So you can get post-war contacts to, I think they only did the twos, they might've done the threes. But it is not true that all German-made contacts um, after the war were from West Germany. There are still some East German ones. They're incredibly rare. From what I understand, there's no way externally to tell the difference between a post-war Jena contacts and a pre-war Dresden contacts. You can tell internally, so it requires someone with a lot of knowledge about contacts rangefinders to truly tell the difference. But if you do have a confirmed one, they're worth quite a pretty penny. 
Is this a preview of our upcoming Zeiss Icon contacts? It show? is. Yes, it is. We are going to have a all contacts episode with uh, a very special guest. So Anthony and Chef Boyardine got that right. So that allowed Aiden to move up a couple spots to fourth. Right, Anthony's Aiden. taking the lead. Yeah. Anthony's starting to pull away. Yep. And I promise you guys, he has no idea what these questions were ahead of time. Question 17. The successor to Fuji Neopan film is this. Superior, Acros, Natura, or Velvia. So which film came after Neopan? For a short while, it was branded both names. The correct answer is Acros. And everybody got that one right. The other three are all color films. That's the Acros is the only black and white one. And who got it fastest? Oh, so many people. Anthony and David are just neck and neck again, man. Those guys are fast. Mark Faulkner very, very slightly jumped ahead of Chef Boyardee for fourth and fifth. Who was that NASCAR race like towards the end of the season where the dude was in like needed to move up four spots and he just floored it into the wall and just flew around everybody? I don't know if anybody's in a NASCAR. No, we're still thinking about the World Cup. Maybe American sport. That was an awesome move. It was super cool. I could appreciate it, but honestly, I don't really care about NASCAR. Yeah. But it was it was definitely neat. All right, next question. If you have a lens that uses the AR bayonet mount, it is to be used on this brand of camera, Konica, Olympus, Ricoh, or Mamiya. Which one of those four uses the AR bayonet? And yes, I know you could digitally adapt it. That's not what the question asks. AR, which stands for auto reflex, is Konica's second bayonet mount. The original bayonet mount on like the Konica FS, which is a camera I recently reviewed, is simply called the Konica F mount. But they released the AR bayonet on the original auto reflex, the two word version that can do both full frame and half frame. Anthony, that's one of your favorites, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a great yeah. camera. Very, very Tried to camera. trade one to Paul recently. He wasn't interested. No, not having it, huh? No. All right. Nope. His loss. Right. See who's, let's see. Does this change anything? Anthony, David, Theo, and Adabex. Got it. Correct. Uh, ooh, Adabex moved up two spots into fourth place. And somehow Theo and I tied exactly on answering that one. Yeah. They, to the millisecond. They got it right. <laughs> they got it right. Okay. Question 19. How do you replace the battery on a Polaroid SX-70? The answers are send it back to Polaroid, disassemble the mirror, buy more film, or trick question, they don't use batteries. So how do you replace the battery on a Polaroid SX-70? Everybody got that one right. I couldn't fool you. Buy more film. The battery is in the film pack. Probably one of the least wise ecological decisions made by a camera maker. Every time you buy a new film, you're throwing away a battery. All right, let's see who got it fastest. A lot of people david oh right anthony when you were doing trivia at volta was it the same way where fastest answer gets more points or was it was it different i, I wish i would have cleaned everybody's clock if that had been the case but no. <laughs> it was either right or wrong it doesn't matter for speed right right got it all right well you're still doing well here we could see why anthony's been uh chomping at the bit to do some trivia he's awesome at it question 20 steve sasson's first digital camera prototype stored its images using this Flash RAM, floppy disk, audio cassette, or punch cards. So when it's when it wrote an image, what did it store it on? Flash RAM, floppy, audio cassette, or punch cards? The correct answer is audio cassette. Flash RAM would probably probably didn't exist then. I honestly don't know. 
uh, floppy disk. I don't think they had that back then either. If they did, it was more real to real. It'd be kind of neat to see a digital image stored on Munch Cards. They had the five-inch ones, I think. Did they? Then. Okay. I couldn't yeah. remember when they started those. Leaderboard. Theo got it right. Oh, Anthony did too. Anthony was faster again. Man, you are fast, Anthony. Mark Faulkner takes the lead number fourth. Good job, Mark. I'm kind of a professional test taker. <laughs> Ilford XP2 Superfilm is normally developed using this process. C41, E6, HC110E, or ECN2. I'm sure everybody here knows that one of those isn't even a process. It is C41, correct. That is their black and white, but C41, it was, they started doing that. What Paul in the nineties, when they were trying, when the mini labs were getting popular, most yeah. places just wanted to have one machine for everything. So they invented black and white film that could go through a color processor, right? Right. The chroma, they call them chromogenics and it would have been right. late eighties. Late eighties. Okay. Wasn't quite sure exactly when, but that's why you see those. And can you, has anybody done the chromogenic black and whites in black and white developer? Does it still work? Yeah, I have done that with like massively expired Kodak, the chromogenic that they had. I was having a really difficult time getting it in C41. It was just a, a grainy mess. And so I started developing it in, in uh, semi-stand uh, HC110. and got actually really wonderful images out of it. Well, I mm. have some XP2 Super graciously donated by Paul and some Kodak, the 400 CN. I have a couple rolls of that. So I definitely want to try it in uh, some black and white developer C. How well it turns out. All right. We're getting down to the end here. Uh, unfortunately, it's not looking like anybody's going to catch up to, to Anthony. So we need to uh, see who's the winner of our listeners. David Ortega is still doing really well there in solid second place. I'm, I'm disappointed Paul couldn't get in here. I don't know why. We did a test and he was working okay. Question 22. The last rolls of Kodachrome were developed by this lab. The options are the dark room, Adorama, Dwayne's photo or the film photography project. Which of those labs is best known for developing the last role of Kodachrome? There's a movie about it too. Do I get any extra points because it takes longer for the, you know, for the comms to come all the way down here to Australia before I can see the question? So you're saying there's some kind of like internet delay maybe? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that's right. making a big difference in my score. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll take that into consideration. We'll maybe find a difficulty multiplier at the end. <laughs> but all seven people got that correct. It is Dwayne's photo. They made a big deal out of it. They were the last ones Kodak was going to send the chemicals to. So everybody got that one right. But it did not change the rankings at all. All right. 23 of 25. So we only have three more to go. Answer fast to get more points. If you bought a camera with the brand name Tower, it was originally sold by this retailer. Montgomery Wards, Burke and James, Sears, Roebuck and Company, or Central Camera. Who sold tower cameras? How am I supposed to know that? We talked about it last episode. <laughs> those, none of those retailers are, exist in Australia. <laughs> so who made Snyder? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the correct answer is Sears, Roebuck, and Company. They were well known for the Sears Tower. Ironically, they sold tower cameras before the Sears Tower was made. So I don't even know if that's a correlation at all. However... They did sell tower cameras from about maybe 54, I think, and on. I don't really know for a while. And then they stopped using tower and just sold things as Sears. In fact, one of my favorite logos 
of any camera is the Sears version of the Rico. Uh, I think it's the TLS. It's got SR written in like a script that almost looks like an atomic symbol. Does any, you guys know what I'm talking about? There's a, a Sears robot camera, really, really nice, just super cool logo because it's clearly SR, but they, they are very clever and made it look like an, an, an atom. Uh, but uh, that's not what this is about here. So right. Anthony's still fast. Yeah, Theo, you are you do get like a delay. So we'll give you maybe an extra thousand points. How about that? <laughs> you're still in you're still in third place. All right. And select answer. Boy, I screwed up again. <laughs> option one, option two, or option three. <laughs> I can't blame Menti on this one. I can tell I screwed this one up too. Uh, let's see. Were any of them right? <laughs> None of them no. right. Okay. Okay. Well, nobody uh, here. No, tell you what. I will. No, never mind. I, I could make them all right, but we'll just go on. All right. Last question. Let's see if this is a real one. <laughs> you, could, you could tell I didn't quite have a chance to test this beforehand. Uh, last question is What is the best open source film photography podcast in the world? Your options are Camerosity, Camerosity, or Camerosity. The counter is still going, which tells me that not everybody has chosen. Three. They're trying two, to choose the best color. The best color, yep. And the correct answer is all of them. You got them all right. So now that we have all of the final answers, we look at who got it fastest. Everybody was over 900 that time, so it was a very easy answer for everybody. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to dethrone Anthony with 16,606, wait, 664 points. I got, call me Clippy. Call him Clippy. Yep, I, I got uh, I got distracted there by the three sixes in the middle. But uh, David Ortega <laughs> is our winner of our listeners with 15,381 points. Theo came in third with 13,725. Adabax was uh, fourth. Mark fifth. Chef Blair Dean was sixth. And Andrew was. I was a little slow. I missed a couple of the questions. That's, that's going to be my excuse. Well, it's, it's, it's because your internet, right? And your mouse. I don't even have a mouse. I was using the trackpad. <laughs> now, I know counting votes is a bit of a problem in the US. <laughs> yeah, but I'm going to throw right. something in there for you. Um, okay. The episode where every single member appeared. I have to cast your mind back to an episode where robot Theo appeared, but Theo did not appear. I, I thought of that and I knew somebody might question me, <laughs> but there is a debate. Is robot Theo and Theo really the same person? Uh, that's something you'll never know. It that is the something glass, we don't know. And the notice, glasses are on or not. The, the question, one of the choices was simply Theo. So yeah, I didn't see. specify which Theo, but no, yeah, that's, a, like that's a, a good Superman. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's a good one. We've we've all missed one. I was not on that one. I've always said to the guys that if there's ever a time where I can't make it, it would be interesting to hear what you guys do without me entirely. I'm kind of scared to hear, but uh that could episode be 31. 31. I'm in a full episode though, so all right. I, I was kind of wondering if 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 uh there was gonna be a robot theo question in there, like is he real or not, or like where does he come from? <laughs> my favorite question was select the response i don't know how that happened <laughs> now menti's a pretty cool program uh, that's why i was pushing for it to work this way because it, it reasonably works for most people on any device 
Uh, we use this at my work a lot. And there's a lot of other things you can do with it too. A lot of collaboration and breakouts. It's it's mainly like an online PowerPoint kind of company, but uh, it has this trivia game in it, which I think is kind of fun, but you got to manually type in all the questions. So uh, if you guys had fun, maybe we could do this again. Uh, I don't know. Did you guys think the questions were too hard? Were they too easy? No, they, I think it was right? just right. Yeah, I, I would not have changed a thing. Yeah. All right. Except for the two that I got wrong. Which do you remember which ones you got wrong? I don't. Oh, the I the uh, original name of Canon. Okay, yeah, Seiki Gogaku. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is our last episode of the year. Uh, for those of you who celebrate Christmas, that's coming up. If you don't celebrate Christmas or something else, happy holidays to you. Uh, New Year's is coming up. Does anybody have any trips planned or anything exciting they're going to do? Heading to Boston. That's about it. Heading to Boston. Yeah. Anything you're going to bring some cameras with? I am. I haven't decided what yet. Do something to work in cold weather, though. Well, I will give you a tip. Do not bring 12 of them. Airport. Definitely do not bring 12. I'm to a point where, honestly, I try to limit myself to three. You know, it, it just it's too hard to do more than that. You end up either one of two things happens when you bring too many. You either just completely skip one or you it ends up ruining your like ability to use the others like meaningfully you know you end up like juggling cameras um i actually dropped a camera once before it was an old bantam so thankfully it wasn't anything um super valuable but uh, i just kind of learned my lesson that to try and juggle too many cameras especially if you're going like if you're going by yourself that's um a little bit more doable but if you're you know you have a family or you're going with other people to have a huge bag full of cameras is as, as much as you want to tell yourself you're going to get through them all, you probably won't, and you'll just get my, frustrated. My suggestion, too, is even if you have just three, and I do follow that, I mean, but even that's a bit heavy, don't take all three out when you go out and about yeah. during the day. Mm -hmm. Just pick one at the start of the day and stick to that one. So you can rotate through the day, different days, but... Don't don't carry too many. To to Mike's point, you'll you'll end up dropping something, or you'll you'll sit there. Oh, I'll take that picture. Oh, I might look better if I use this other camera, and then you yeah. end up taking the same picture over and over again. Yeah, no, I typically, I typically take three because I do I do one that's tested and trusted, one that is tested I haven't used much before, and then one that's completely untested just for the fun. Yeah, of it. living on the edge. No, that is a good point too. At least have one that you know you can trust. You know, because you just you just never know. In fact, I um, I was telling the guys this. I developed four rows of film, black and white. So I mean, something that I've done hundreds of times. HC one ten. Well, I uh, un unfortunately, you know, we talk about how long of a shelf life HC one ten has, but unfortunately, the last time I used my bottle, I forgot to put the cap on. So it sat out on my shelf with the cap off for a couple of weeks. And uh, mm -hmm. it, it was already turning that kind of dark caramel color that were common with uh, HC110, but it turned like almost a black, like used motor oil color. But I just thought, eh, it can handle anything. So I developed four rolls of film with it um, and, and nothing. I got extremely faint images on two of them. Uh, but I, and I tried scanning them and I, you know, Anthony, you said you've been able to salvage some very thin things and I was able to get an image out of them, but they're just so low that they're just not worth looking at. They were supposed to be for a review of a camera. So unfortunately I lost four rolls of film. Um, and even worse, two of those rolls were on cameras that were loaners that I had already sent back to its owner. So I won't be able to reshoot those. But um, speaking of traveling, you got to eliminate as many variables as possible. Because I went to visit you, Mark, 
uh, last summer. I met you and Adam Paul in person. We went to Gettysburg. I went to Washington, D.C. I went to New York City. And I screwed up developing on a couple of those roles, too. So even when, you know, you try to uh, minimize variables, you bring cameras you depend on, you could still screw them up somehow in developing. So um, you always I always say eliminate variables it's, or minimize, I should say. You can't eliminate them, but minimize them. Well, I found out yeah. that I'm going to be heading up to Montreal in the first week of April where the okay. average temperature will be maybe 12 degrees. So wow. the last time I went, uh, going by Alex's suggestion, I took my Nikon FM2, which works. It's super robust and has been you know reliable. When I mean, you're, I'm literally working with like, you know, gloves on uh, trying to shoot. So I'm not sure what I'll take. I might, maybe I'll take the MX or, uh, you know, maybe the contacts S2 to something that's like a fully mechanical, fully, you know, as simple as possible. I'm, I don't even want autofocus when it's that cold. You know, the fewer moving parts, the better. I don't have any proof of this, but I, I would probably stay away from anything with a leaf shutter. Yeah. I don't know if that's um, Paul back in, in the heyday. Was there like Hasselblad leaf shutter cameras? Was there a belief to keep them out of the cold or if properly serviced, should a, a leaf shutter and a focal plane be just as reliable? Yeah, they really should be. There really shouldn't be any difference in them. The, no. the big deal was uh, in cold temperature. The big deal was actually film breaking. Okay. Because the film would get brittle. It's brittle. Um, yeah. When they first came out with high speed motor drives, a lot of guys, you know, when you get down to below zero temperatures, the the motor drive would either snap the film, or it would create static buildup. So you'd wind up with static. Yeah, the cold would create the static on the on the film. What would you take up to the Great White North? I would probably take a rangefinder. Oh, um, just because uh, it would have there'd be fewer, there'd be less chance of a missed failure. Okay. So that would just be me. I'll be um, traveling to um, totally different type of place um, in the new year uh, to Vietnam. Um, and my youngest son's coming with me. And one of the things that we've sort of agreed on because he wants to shoot a bit of film is I'm probably going to take my Nikon FE. I've been testing it out and it works quite nice and I'm quite, quite happy with the results. And of course the, the, the Nikon glass um, and he, he will use the FM2N, which is a very well-tested camera I've got. So, so that way we're sort of doubling up a little bit. And uh, if we have a bit of failure, um, we've got two Nikons to, to play with. That's cool. Vietnam. Oh, that's going to be exciting. That's pretty mm. warm there though. Right. Tropical. That's going to be pretty hot. It is. It is. Uh, depending on which part of the year you go in. Yeah. But yes, it is. Um, it is. And um, that's exactly what we're after. Sun, humidity, beach and uh, photography. One of the um, questions in the trivia about which one isn't a Leica copy, the, the carton is one that I've previously reviewed. And one of the goals, so the, the carton, uh, Peter Carden made this camera um, because Lights of New York couldn't couldn't do it. Like they wanted a camera to Leica specifications made in America, um, and only Peter Carden was willing to to attempt it. But so they made a civilian version of that camera and a military version of the camera. And one of the differences with the military, in addition to the larger knobs and such, but that it was designed in a way that whatever lubricants they used would would be would withstand much much colder temperatures. So. There is a story where they built these cameras and stuck them in a freezing chamber for seven hours at negative 67 degrees. Um, it does not specify Fahrenheit or Celsius, but 
regardless of the scale, negative 67 is still very cold. Uh, and the camera still worked flawlessly at that temperature. So um, I don't know that I, I would recommend shooting anything at negative 67 degrees, but that seems to be the, the bottom temperature that any camera reliably could go. Of course, the um, who is the guy who climbed Mount Everest, um, who took a retina up there? Yeah. I can't remember the guy's name. It wasn't Hillary, but it was one of the... Uh... One of the later guys. Yeah, it might. It wasn't the 117. I think it was the 118 Kodak Retina went up the Mount Everest. But I don't think it gets negative 67 up there, though. Well, didn't they make a version of the Kodak Signet 35 for the Korean War? Yes. It was like designed for like use with gloves. Well, the whole camera was. That's why the knobs are so big. Um, yeah. They made the olive drab version. Um, Dan Houseman would know better than I would. I don't actually think there's anything internally different on the olive drab versions of that than cons compared to the consumer ones. Maybe they, I should take my Kodak 35. They, they did it with the Kodak 35 too. There's a Kodak 35, the original one, and the Signet were both made in olive, black and olive drab made specifically for the um, the Signal Core. Um, and if you find one of those today, they're worth quite a bit more than the, the regular ones. But I, I don't think they did anything different on those. But yeah, if the Signet has the larger knobs, the fairly large shutter release. So it's very comfortable to use with gloves. I really like the Signet 35. Yeah, I do too. Somebody once asked like, what's an, an underappreciated rangefinder, And that one usually comes up for me because it's got a great lens. It's, it's attractive. It's, it's good looking. It's easy to use, easy to fix. You know, if you ever get one of those and the rangefinder is dirty, you literally take the two screws off that, that go through the middle of the knobs and the entire top plate just comes right off. There might be two more under the knobs, but whatever it is, it's just regular screws, pull them off. The top plate comes off. You can see everything in there. You can clean it really nice. Just put it back together. The shutter only has four speeds, which some people complain about, but for most people, you don't need anything more than 125th through 1200th. I mean, yeah, if you want to shoot fast speed outside and get bokeh, it's not going to work for you. But for just general purpose photography, go out and shoot some pictures of landscapes or whatever. It's a great camera. Plus, it's got that triangle rangefinder patch. I think it's kind of cool. It might be the nerdiest film photography podcast. We're trying to get up there. We want to win that title. Take that, Alex. <laughs> uh, Although Alex probably wouldn't use uh, motor oil colored HC 110. He probably would have been smart enough to throw that away or or not leave the cap off. Who knows his way around developing. On a slightly different track, a couple of new purchases recently. So I thought I'd pull a couple of in. Um, I went to the Sydney Camera Show, first one in three years the other the other weekend. And oh, yeah. uh, picked, up, picked up a few. And... Um, yeah, and I know, Mike, you've been wanting one of those. So I seem to be doing it to, to all the hosts here. Yeah, Anthony with the Superb and now Mike with uh, with the Ensign uh, Commando. Nice. So I think it's pretty. Dio goes Commando. <laughs> yes. Um, what I love about this is it's it's got the 6 by 4 5 frame built into it. And not only that, it's even, you know, even the, the actual viewfinder gets adjusted for, for the six by four, five frame by just this little lever. But you know, it's a really nicely made camera. That's oh, I'm surprised because normally it looks the instant heavy. stuff. Yeah. Is it heavy? It is. It is. Yeah. No, not quite um non-folder heavy, but uh it, it's for a folder, it's actually quite quite uh a significant piece. I'm just really impressed in the build quality of it. 
um, considering Ensign isn't really known for no. those type of cameras. With the no commander, I'm just want, gonna have to wonder if they're aiming for the for the military and then missed the war completely. So uh, because they came in right at the end of the war. So that's natively a six by six camera, but you said it could do four and a half by six. Yeah, all, all you do is there's some plates at the flaps. back here, little flaps, similar to the Mamiya Six. So you just bring the flaps over. Uh, I've got a I've got a, a spindle in there, so I can't do it right now. But yeah, you just bring the flaps over. Um, and yeah, that's cool. There, there it is. There, I'll do this one. That's way better than having to find and hold on to a mask that almost always gets lost. Yeah, and and hint hint, David Ortega, Zeiss Icon. 645 mask maybe one of these days <laughs> but but the other thing is it's it's got a counter on top so you can use the, the windows at the back it's got um 12 and 16 frame uh little red window at the back but it's got this little um lever uh right next to the shutter release where you, you flick it over and the counter will automatically uh, oh wow to six by four five that's got to be a, a frequent fail point on that camera, but um, does it work? This works. It um, the only they told me it would just been serviced. I need to go talk to these guys okay. because it it um, when I do cock the shutter, it won't stay. That's the, okay. That's what seems to be wrong with it. So I've got to go and figure out what's going on with there. Does it have guys. a top plate shutter release? Yes, it does. So if you look, there's a linkage that's connecting from the top plate down where the shutter is. Yeah. There's probably a shutter release, like and on the leaf shutter. Is it loose? Stuck or something? Yeah. Either that, or or it just won't hold the yeah. the cocking mechanism in the lens. So I'll have to figure that out. Yeah. But, if before before you send it back, just make sure that the um the actual I, I've never seen a commando, so I'm just guessing what it looks like. But I've seen other ones where there's a linkage that actually pushes on the shutter release that the leaf that's in the leaf shutter, and sometimes if that if that doesn't back out all the way, it's full travel. Sometimes you can't cock it because it thinks it's partially engaged. Yeah. That might be an easy fix. But yeah, if it's if it's anything more than that, I definitely talk to them about it and see yeah. if if they just need to take another look at it or something. I'd be pretty keen if they if it does need some work uh, to to possibly yeah. get Jess to work on it. So get a bit of a partial refund and get Jess to work on it. That's a cool camera. Yeah. No, and I picked up a couple of other things there as well. A Schneider Telezena 180 5.5. I've tried it out. Uh, it confused me a little bit. It's a uh, M42 mount, and it confused me because there's some misinformation online about it on what it actually fits on. But um, it does actually fit onto an M42 normal 35 millimeter camera. And um, I've tried it out. It's it's okay. 5.5 uh, is not going to give you great great bokeh. But then. Um, of course, Mike, I've got one of your favorite cameras here. Oh, the the, the Canon Futura. Futura. <laughs> it looks like a pop can. Yeah. It's, They're one of um, them. They're so funny. They are. The flash being in the in the actual lens hood is, is superb. So um, so yes, apparently this one's working. The guy that actually was selling, he's got three of them. He loves them. So uh, really. And he said he was selling this one because the slight little um, catch for the flash. Is, is a little bit broken, but works just fine anyway. But uh, uh, but yeah, he's a big fan of them, which is a bit weird. Um, but I've, I've, I've actually been quite quite lucky lately. I've got a, a colleague at work gave me one of the sleeper compacts. Um, I don't, not, don't know if you've seen these before, the Ricoh FF 
threes. They're a nice little compact. Yeah, um, I've seen one quite, of those. Yeah, um, apparently they're quite well regarded, so I'm quite quite keen to give it a try. But um, I guess one of my highlights, my most recent highlight though, is this morning just before the show. My robot two arrived, so Ooh. I'm really keen to give that a try. Theo, I told you, Theo and robot robot Theo are really the same person. <laughs> uh, That's too funny. Yeah, so um, it's been quite good. I even got gifted a um isomat, aqua isomat from Jess as well. So I'm I'm really uh had a, for from going from not buying anything for a while to suddenly yeah <laughs> in front of the cameras. Uh, it's a bit funny how it works out. I have a review of the Isomat that uses rapid film, but it shoots square images. So it's yes. it's it's hardly a robot, but uh, if you wanted to do a square format 35 millimeter shoot off between the robot and the Isomat, that could be fun. Yeah, they're pretty neat. Yeah, this came in the whole kit. Oh wow! The camera. I, yeah, that's it's neat. Flash, flash. I've never seen the kit. The kit before. Yeah. And even um, even comes in with a, an actual Voigtlander flash. Oh wow! So, I bet some, that's something Anthony that's hasn't neat. got. No, that's kind of cool. Does it have? Is it still connected to the PC port, or is it a hot shoe? It's a hot shoe flash. Wow! So so um, and yeah, it came with that and a couple of cartridges. Yeah, you got your Agfa. Yeah, and a whole box of Sylvania bulbs. Bulbs. So very cool. It's a whole, full pack. Yes. So um, thank you, Jess. <laughs> I hope you didn't pay too much for the isomat, but uh, that is a cool kit. No, Jess gave it to me. Oh, wow. Even better. So, yeah, that's so, I've never seen it in the kit before. That's really neat. Yeah, yeah so try, really, give it a shot. Just load it up. When you We were talking before the show began, but um, when you reload Agfa cassettes, the rapid cassettes, you got to be careful not to shove too much film in there. You know, you, you want to, uh, it would be better to do less than too much because it'll bind if you put too much in there. So um they're pretty, they're pretty good. You know, you get square images out of them. You should easily be able to get 12 to 16 nice images from it. And it's a, I think it's a meniscus lens, but they're, they, they, they perform pretty decently. Plus, you know, who doesn't like square format? Yeah, exactly. So I've gone from having no square format to two square yeah. format. Uh, yeah. 35 millimeter cameras. So. Very cool. So you had mentioned the Futura is something I was joking around about. We talked about that in a recent episode. In the show notes for episode 37, the Camerosity World Cup, I, I, I alluded to this same episode caused me to have my own gas of something I picked up almost right after we recorded. And I never came back to tell anybody what it was, but we were we were talking to Alan Duncan and he had mentioned um, the Olympus, the Super Zoom IS series, the SLRs, uh, the IS 1, 2, 3, the 100, 200, there were a bunch of them. And I just, for some reason, just got enamored by them. And, and coincidentally, the big brother Google guys must have been listening in and, and one popped up on my radar for very, very cheap. So I ended up picking up an Olympus IS 2. Uh, I, I actually don't have it in front of me because it's in the car. I have film in it. But uh, it's very neat. Fixed lens, zoom lens. Uh, it's like an SLR, but I mean, you, you, know, you see through the lens composition, a lot of shooting modes. Um, from everything I've read, the images those things make are really, really nice. So I'm looking forward to finishing a roll on it. I succumb to my own gas on, on this show too sometimes. Yeah, I think I've got the 1000 and they're, they're very interesting cameras to play around with. Yeah. What's weird about loading film in them though, the film goes from right to left, but then the take-up spool is like like backwards like 
it doesn't roll into the film compartment. It rolls like into the door. It's really weird. I don't know if uh, if if that caused reliability problems or not, but uh, strange strange design choices they made, I guess. I recently picked this up. I like a one G. Very nice. On Facebook, yeah. It's kind so of that's the, the the no viewfinder version. Right. Yeah. That's a. Uh been catering to my gas that's about it so what lenses are you gonna mount on there well right now i'm i just ordered a new um leatherette for it but i have a canon 15 mil serenar or okay however you say it. i'm probably gonna end up selling this one but because i like that would be finder but i'm sure i'm sure i should roll through it before i send it off was that an estate sale fine uh facebook marketplace okay very cool out of backs at home now what what uh did you have your three cameras? Yeah. So this is, I just picked up Yashika T4 from Goodwill for 10 bucks, less than nice. 10 bucks. Oh, <laughs> nice. It's crazy that I, I, I cannot believe I just rolled the film and shooting with it. But for uh, the three camera that I most used last year is XA was my go-to because it was a small throw in my All right. bag. Uh, this camera, Rebel T7, with a 40 millimeter weight compact for, I mean, hiking or something. It's not my favorite, but very nice. I mean, very compact for what it does. It's very advanced. I think it's one of the latest Canon film cameras. What lens? You said the 40 millimeter. What, what brand is lens that? is that? 40 millimeter pancake lens. So it's basically oh. a compact camera. It's, but it's a it's a Canon lens though. Yeah, it's Canon. Okay. okay. Uh, 40 millimeter 2.8 is really, really nice. We're, that's a very rare lens, actually. Yeah, that's a, it's a great combo for travel yeah. or hiking. It does a really good job. And I want to talk about this camera, maybe only two copy of this in the world. I posted in the podcast uh, Facebook group. It's a panoramic camera made by Minolta XC7 and fuji 645 oh, yeah. lens yeah uh designed wow. by the frame no mind doey krishov shout out to him wow okay so yeah. i have to explain this he he's holding what looks to be a fairly normal well not too normal but it's an xc7 black slr you can tell there's something different because the pen of prism has been removed yes. uh he's he's got a panoramic clip-on viewfinder above it right yeah. And then yeah. he opened the film door. So show us the film door again. Sure. You have the chrome film rails, which would normally be there on an XC7. But basically, everything in between the film rails is open into the film gate. Yeah. So I can't tell. Is that camera wider than normal or is it still the same width? No, it's it's basically the same size as uh, Xpen, Hasselblad Xpen size. It's 24 by 56 yeah. or something like yeah. that. Same, same, exactly the same. I have to. The body of the camera, though, is it wider than a normal? No, XC7? no, no. It's a normal XC7. Wow. I mean, he chose this camera because the body is heavy enough space inside yeah. to cut to do this. Some, I mean, icons can do, but the lens is from Fuji GS645 wide camera. Right. It has shutter in, built inside everything. Uh, really nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. There's no focal plane shutter. That, that's a great lens. It's 40 millimeter, basically like 20, wow. 21, and I mean 35. So uh, pretty wide and great camera. I shoot once and came up great because the focus 
throw is pretty close. So basically, if you should add eight, everything is in focus. Pretty wow. nice. Camera. So the lens does not come off. It's it's permanently attached, right? Yeah, it's attached to the three. This part is 3D printed. He okay. designed it and sent me the files and I printed and then assembled. I have wow. to take everything inside the body. So you don't have shutter. All the system is out and mounted this 3d printed part with the lens in it and yeah so really the xc7 has basically been turned into a, just a light tight box that moves yeah. film yeah exactly. whereas all the magic's happening in the shutter so you have to manually cock and yeah. fire the shutter or does, does two the top times. plate no it's two times basically is the one but it, i mean the the tricky part is you have to remind if you already yeah rewind it or not so after each shot i rewind so don't overlap or don't uh right. over rewind the shot so. so how do you fire the shutter it's off the lens yeah yeah it's on the lens so basically you have this here like a uh yeah i yeah. see it he's got a, a little lever on the side like you would expect yeah. to see on a uh leaf yeah. shutter. that's how you cock it and that's your cock it and you press yeah. the it's basically like, like a large format lenses it has built-in shutter and shutter speeds everything is built-in shutter so what i really like about that is you get the benefits of like the x-pan yeah. and while yours is even rarer than the x-pan i guess yeah. it's that much I would, cheaper but it feels like or it seems like that should last you quite a while whereas the x-pans yeah. are already starting to show signs of being from that electronic era where they're starting to die Exactly. I know that if you have an X-Pan that breaks, I don't know that there's anybody that'll touch them, but yours there, I mean, granted it's custom, but that's a pretty proven lens and shutter. Yeah. I would think very little could go wrong with it. And then because the body's not doing a whole lot, that's a pretty robust design yeah. there that should last you quite a while. That is really cool. How does it handle color film? Does it need the, the spot uh, filter? I haven't shot color yet. I only shot uh, black and white and turn out pretty nice sharp but okay. uh i'm i mean next thing is to try uh probably kodak portra with it to see be interested to see that because i know the the x-pan for color you you normally need to have the the spot filter um the spot graduated spot filter i didn't know that yeah. i'll try to see you what did it with the 30 millimeter the 45 not quite as as important on the X pan with the 30, right. you definitely you definitely got to have it with the 30. This one is 45. How many of the how many of those cameras has your friend made? So he made for himself. I saw him on a homemade camera podcast, uh, explained it, and I uh, sent him a message that I'm trying, I'm very interested and want to make one of these. Can you help me? And uh he was a very nice guy and sent me the files. And I 3D printed myself just this. Oh my gosh, I, I didn't yeah. realize you had made that yourself. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but, everything designed by himself. And I got just got the files and this here, uh, disassembled the camera, took shutter system, everything in the body out and mounted the cone and the lens on it. And uh, I only uh, important thing is to uh, ca calibrate the uh focus the infinity focus and it, it's not a very complicated thing so that is really cool so you said you post that in the group i must have missed that 
Yeah, I saw it. It was, it was, a, it was after the Minolta podcast. Okay. Because yeah. it was Minolta, my favorite Minolta yeah. body. <laughs> Send us a couple of pictures for the show notes. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's and, really uh, neat. If you've got a black and white or any kind of picture that you shot with that you could send too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Be very awesome. Definitely. All right. It's it's my uh, one of I my the other Minolta favorite Minolta is the the range fighter uh, Heimatit Seven S Two. It's it's pretty great camera. It's yeah, nice forty millimeter lens, compact. Much better than Canonet and other competitive. I mean, similar lenses. The lens is great on it. Right. Well, we are coming up on the two-hour mark. The, the trivia took up a good section there. We had a nice discussion at the beginning. But does anybody have any last-minute things they want to share or questions for us you'd like to ask? This is our last episode of the year. Not that that means anything, but... <laughs> Uh, I haven't really got anything new. I, I mentioned earlier the Fujix, Nikon, early DSLR is really the only thing that's shown up here. Uh, just trying to kind of get things in order, get things ready for next year, what kind of reviews I want to do. Uh, hopefully I have some exciting things planned. In terms of the show, we'll be back in, I guess, two weeks, right, guys? Have we decided, we're are we going to do this January 2nd or should we go out three weeks? Let's Let's make the decision here and now. Two weeks is fine for me. I don't know if, if anyone else is. I'm, I'm okay with it. All right. Well, then we'll be back at our regular uh, Camerosity time on the Camerosity channel. We say this, at, or I say it at the end of every episode, that the show depends on callers. We love hearing from you guys. One thing I have heard a few people who have said, oh, I'd love to come, but I'm not an expert. I don't know what I would say. And I don't want anybody to feel like you have to be the biggest nerd like we are to join. In fact, we love new callers. Adebeck showed us his awesome uh, Minolta panoramic. I think back to when Nef- Nafis Azad showed up and in the, the last few seconds of an episode, Theo's like, what's that camera behind you? And that was the Polaroid 20 by 24. Uh, we love first time callers, even if you're new, even if you don't feel like you know the level of knowledge that we have um, we started, we, we, we started somewhere too before. And sometimes the, the questions that a, a new person asks can spawn conversations that we wouldn't otherwise do. So if you're interested and you like the show and you want to join us, please do not think that you need to have a certain level of knowledge. No one's going to make fun of you. We're, we value all listeners and all questions of any kind, even if it's something that's easy. I mean, in fact, I'd love to do a, a beginner's episode one day, too, if we could find enough people new to film photography uh, to join us and just, you know, ask questions that maybe we take for granted. You know, we say a lot of things that I, I make an effort to try and explain, but, uh, you know, sometimes you forget, you know. So um, what a great year we've had. We've had some great episodes, some great hosts, some great questions. If you're a beginner and you've been shooting for about a year or less, write into us so that way we know you're there. Maybe we can sort of coordinate a beginner's episode. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great idea. All right. Well, you guys have a wonderful holiday season. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Festivus. Happy New Year. Uh, If you don't support any of those, that's cool, too. Uh, enjoy the next couple of weeks here. Uh, Paul, you're probably going to get it after me, but there's supposed to be a big snowstorm coming apparently. So yeah, that's what I hear. 
maybe you'll, you'll get it too. But uh, we should be snowed in pretty soon here right now. It's just cold outside. But uh, really appreciate you guys. Thank you so much, Paul, Theo, Anthony. You guys, I couldn't do this without you. Everybody else who called in, Adibak, Andrew, Mark Faulkner, David Ortega, all the people who've called in from previous episodes. Thank you, guys. Uh, we will circle back, though, on that challenge from uh, the Negative Positive podcast because we will rightfully claim our throne as the nerdiest film photography podcast. Or should we just say the nerdiest photography podcast? Because we do talk about DigiCams. And don't give up on our Pentax part two. That'll be coming in the new year. Yeah, we're going to do that. Yeah. Hopefully a Zeiss Icon contact show and a few others that we uh, have been trying to formulate in the background. We should have some really great shows coming up next year. All right, you guys. Thank you so much. Have hey, a good happy night. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Right. Happy, happy New Year. year. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Happy New Year. I don't know what happened to me on the the Medi. I I did a username, but it must not have taken it. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I mean, I knew I knew the answer. I would have kicked Anthony's ass. Tell you the truth, <laughs> I'm sure you would have. There would there would have been no daylight for Anthony to 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 find. I mean, I I I just had it. I, I know that I had it. <laughs> I, I'm sure you did. I I I'm willing to concede right now. No, 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 guys. I I would have been both of you. It's the lag. The lag, lag yeah. Australia. Lag yeah. Australia. Yeah. <laughs>